Thank you for that. I'm really excited about being here tonight and a little fearful. So, tonight I want to talk to you about fear and about shame and about unforgiveness. Everybody's favorite subjects, right? Uh, but first, I want to uh, warn you about two defects that I have. Uh, one is um, my man ain't what it used to be. And, uh, and I don't know whether it's from age or whether it's from all the cancer treatments I've had over the last 20 years. Frankly, it doesn't matter, but uh, uh, I'm sometimes thrown off the train of thought, if you understand what I'm saying. And, uh, but I, I brought a backup brain for that eventuality. Uh, the second defect I have is that as I share these stories that are very close to our hearts, uh, I sometimes get very emotional. Uh, and I haven't figured a way to deal with that yet. So if I go there, just be patient. And I'll recover eventually and move on. Uh, so back to fear. What do, we, what do we do with that fear, particularly if we suspect that it is interfering with our relationship with God, maybe paralyzing our faith? Here's an answer from the opening lines of the book of James. It's a simple statement of faith from a very mature Christian who understands the struggle that I'm going to be talking about tonight. When trouble comes your way, let it be an opportunity for joy. For when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be strong in character and ready for anything. If we believe these opening lines, we would be rejoicing, not fearful, when trouble comes our way. But most of us, even if we're strong uh, seekers of God, we would rather have these tests on our own schedule. We would rather, um, we would rather not have them come when we're least prepared. Uh, and we would rather that those tests be of short duration, if they come at all. Sure, we all like a little challenge in our lives, and, and most of us understand that we are strengthened when we're tested. But we'd rather select those times on of our own choosing and for the duration we choose. You know, but life doesn't come at us that way. Uh, when trials come, they often arrive when we are least prepared. They come clumped together like waves striking the beach. One knocks you down, and as you're about to get up, three more crash in on you. What do we do when the test comes? How do we protect ourselves and deal with the fear and fight back in a constructive way? One thing is clear from my family's life experiences. Whether we like it or not, trials and tragedies will eventually come to all of us if we live long enough. If you're not experiencing one now or emerging from one, then look out. 
One is in your future. How does God... Um, the question is, how does God use these tests to transform us, to grow us, and to do His kingdom work? There have been at least three periods in the life of my family when I felt that we were under attack from unseen forces, intent on our destruction. The first period was the death of our 16-year-old daughter. And within uh, the next two years, or the next year and a half, uh, we lost our first grandchild, and we lost my brother's wife to brain cancer. The second period came 11 years almost to the day when our uh, 16-year-old son was spinal cord injured in a a wreck. Uh, His brother was also, his twin brother was also injured. And um, that same year my mother died and I found out that I had prostate cancer at age 50. Then there was the period in our lives that I have come to consider the third siege. It was a time when every member of our family came under attack. It was a time when God taught me about fear. Not just fear in the general sense, but the fear and hunger for control I carried all my life. The fear that kept me from trusting Him and Him alone. And He taught me about prayer. That year started with our our youngest twin son, Mark, getting locked up on his third DUI. If he was convicted of that, he would have been uh, sent to prison for a number of years. A month or so later, our son-in-law was infected with a rare neurological disease called ehrlichiosis from a tick bite. It took weeks of hospitalization to diagnose it and many treatments before we knew he would live through it. Our oldest son and his new wife went on a dream vacation where where all their money and identification was stolen. That fall, our daughter had complications from surgery for ulcerative colitis and we almost lost her. She was in and out of the hospital so many times we lost count. Before the doctors figured out a solution for her, she came very close to giving up on life. That same fall, I learned that the prostate cancer that I, that had defied uh, surgery and radiation and now metastasized in my lungs and was starting to spread. So here we were again in the wilderness with our whole family under attack. It seemed from some unseen force Were all of these negative events just a series of coincidences? Or was Satan, the evil one, trying to break us? Well, I've decided that there is an evil force in this world and that that force tries to break us spiritually. That may not be very scientific and I've never seen a dude in a red suit and a pitchfork. But I have fought many spiritual battles over the years, and it's the only explanation I can come up with when your whole family comes under attack. For me, I wondered why, after all of the evidence of God's presence in my life, was I feeling so much fear, 
Fear for my loved ones. Fear for myself now that the cancer had metastasized. Fear that shook my confidence in the medical establishment. Fear of thieves and individuals and insects that meant to harm us in spite of everything we did to take care of ourselves. And my personal fear that the attack on my health and my spirit would continue and I would not meet the test. We asked God to show us the next right thing to do as we walked and sometimes crawled through this year of fear. We had learned from other seasons of testing not to waste time asking why. A better question to ask is, what do you want to teach us now, Lord? As it turns out, God was waiting for me to turn to Him and ask this question. But there were no quick fixes. God wanted me to confront a lifetime pattern of survival and self-reliance and learn to put my trust completely in Him. We did what we had learned to do in similar circumstances. We asked everyone we knew to pray for us. We have prayer warriors all over the United States, and when these sieges come against us, we ask them to get us on our prayer list, on their prayer list. Another right thing I did was to ask Ben Campbell to provide me with spiritual direction. Ben helped me to stop trying to analyze myself and encouraged me to bring our needs shamelessly and honestly to God. To understand that all people of faith have these fears. He helped me to stop condemning my faithlessness and start searching for what God wanted to teach me. I arranged for a personal retreat at Richmond Hill to draw closer to God and listen to His voice. On the first day of that retreat, I attended a healing prayer session. One of the leaders, Fontaine Williamson, instructed us to write our request for healing on a card. I asked for the healing of the metastases in my lungs. As I lifted my needs to God, He came to me with love and gentle humor. And He said, what took you so long, Jerry? to come to this retreat and to this healing service. You know, you don't get any points for starving yourself. Fontaine had a vision of me turning in a soil coat and getting back a clean one. As the retreat continued, I met with Janie, Walker, and Karen Moore. Ben, Janie, and Walker triple-teamed me that week. And that's about what it took. The more we all talked and prayed, the clearer it became that the lesson God was bringing to me had to do with my lifelong reliance on, on the false gods of control and survival. During the retreat, I was led to a book in the library. It was in this particular issue, this particular issue just jumped off the shelf and beckoned me to read it. It was called Weavings, and the title of Weaving, that particular issue of Weavings was Security. An article by Robert Morris was entitled Paradoxical Security, Trusting God in Fearful Times. It was the fifth anniversary of 9-11 that it was being written in. He examined the positive and negative sides of fear 
and spoke, that spoke directly to my questions. Morris wrote, Fear itself is a divine gift melt as an, meant as an alarm to awaken the capacities of the soul that can respond to the crisis. But if we are ruled by fear, it can become the chief entry point for the dark and demonic powers to penetrate our souls. Fear not only awakens our dark side, it can shake up our faith. Even the self-righteousness that it can inspire is often the very sign of threatened faith, a shaky substitute for heartfelt trust and confidence in God. Despite all of the evidence that I had to the contrary, I was still missing that trust, that heartfelt confidence in God. Morris continued, I say shake up faith because faith in lesser gods can masquerade as faith in the ultimate God. The blessing hidden in the dangers of the test is that our souls can be shaken free of their attachment to the lesser gods we have confused with the true and life-giving God. So this was the blessing God wanted to bestow in the test that had come to my family that year. He wanted to strip away my belief once and for all that I could somehow control my life. He wanted to shake me loose from my faith in lesser gods and place my complete trust in Him. We clearly had many justifications for the worry and the anxiety we experienced that year. But it was becoming clear that God wanted to teach me a different strategy for handling my fear. He wanted me to understand that I was allowing fear to rule my life, and by doing so, I was providing Satan with an entry point into my soul. Near the end of the retreat, I had a memory of the bell tower of the church I grew up in. The memory was from a difficult time in the life of our church when I was about 15 or 16 years old. Factions had, turned, had formed around whether to keep the pastor or to have him replaced. Also during this time in my life, I could clearly see the defects of my father's character. I confronted him about his anger and the way he treated us, but he blew it off. It was years later with my mother when he was struggling with cancer that he accepted responsibility for his behavior. This was when I decided that God was powerless and I needed to take charge of my life. So rather than hold fast to my religious teaching and trust God, I used the hypocrisy that was playing out in my church and family to justify my use of alcohol, tobacco, and pornography. The bell tower in our church had been a scary foreboding place when we were children, but I rebelliously decided to use it as a hideaway to smoke and drink and read pornography. I even took some mattresses out of the nursery to make myself more comfortable. I had turned a sacred place into a place of rebellion against God. Now at the end of this retreat, God was bringing this shameful memory and the fear I felt 
back to my awareness so that I could ask for his forgiveness and healing. God also wanted me to forgive my father and see him in a different light, the light of God's grace. So I did the next right thing. I poured out my heart to God and asked for forgiveness and forgave my father who died many years earlier. And God's response was, Jerry, I forgave you of these sins years ago, but, you knew, but I knew you had not forgiven yourself. This is where you took over control of your life, and you've been living in fear ever since. Now it's time to give it back to me and live in trust. In the year that followed, I continued to journal, pray, and meet with Ben. I came to call my place of survival the panic room. When I was in the panic room, I functioned as an atheist. In that place, I simply didn't trust him. As a result, I spent most of my time, whether asleep or awake, anticipating and preparing for the problems that might come that day or the next. God was teaching me that His kingdom, the kingdom of God, was like a parallel universe that I could step over into at any time that I chose to. And in that time, in that parallel universe, there was abundance and blessing. And I had to renounce, in order to do that, I had to renounce my faith in lesser gods and choose to join Him in the stillness and listen for His guidance. Here in the kingdom, I do not have to struggle for survival. He provides the time and the resources I need. Each day I have to activate my faith, stay out of the panic room, and choose who I will serve. The gods of Satan, the fearmonger, or the one true living God. Exercising my faith and staying out of the panic room has been like strengthening a weak muscle. Some days it works, and other days I fall back into the same old patterns. But God continues to teach me about my fear and my faith. When faith rises, I know He wants me to run to Him first, instead of the last, as, as a last resort, instead of the panic room. I still have a little atheist that is part of my spiritual makeup but it's getting weaker and less influential in my daily life. The practice of centering prayer has become a daily discipline in my life. It's an antidote to the poison of the panic room and the lack of trust in God. So I'll end where I started. When trouble comes your way, let it be an opportunity for joy. For when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be strong in character and ready for anything. Thank you, Ben. And thank you, God, for drawing us all ever closer, ever closer to Him every day.
Amen. Amen.